Well, good morning. How you doing today? Have you noticed, have you noticed this, that there is a growing interest in people learning about their family history? Beverly Strassman, a University of Michigan anthropologist, said that genealogy is America's second most popular hobby. In October of 2012, Ancestry.com was sold for $1.6 billion when the site only had 2 million users. Today, Ancestry.com has over 10 million users. People are deeply interested in their roots. Maybe even some of you have paid the $99 plus shipping to get a glimpse of your genealogy. According to Evitar Zerubavel, a sociologist from Rutgers, one historical reason people wanted to know their genealogy is because it was a way for the elite class to justify their position on top of the social pyramid. He said royalty and nobility were very obsessed with creating genealogies that would link them to heroes. The beginning of the New Testament begins with a genealogy for a similar reason. Matthew's gospel was written to convince his Jewish audience that Jesus was the Messiah. Every Israelite knew that God had promised the Messiah would come from the ancestral line of David, the greatest king in Israel's history. So before Matthew tells us a single story about Jesus, he gives us the bloodline of Jesus to prove that he is in fact a distant son of David. When you read the genealogy of Jesus, one thing stands out right away. His family tree is not filled with a lot of people we would call heroes. Jesus' family tree is filled with people who have sorted paths and some who aren't even Jewish. This morning, we're going to look at one person who fits that description. Her name is Rahab. My first sermon ever at Spring Valley Community Church 13 years ago, or 12 years ago rather, was on Rahab. And my first sermon as lead pastor of Spring Valley Community Church was on Rahab. And I don't know what today is. It's either a new beginning or something. But this is the third time in the last 12 years I've got to preach about this amazing lady. Let me read for you Jesus' genealogy so that I can tell you, you can kind of see where Rahab is in the story. It says this. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, who we talked about last week. This will be less awkward than last week. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon, who was roasted on a cedar plank. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Rahab's story is found in the book of Joshua. The Israelites had been slaves in the nation of Egypt for 400 years. God raised up Moses to lead a mass exodus out of Egypt so that they could have a land of their own, the promised land, the land of Canaan. Because the Israelites were hard-hearted and ultimately disobedient to God, God allowed them to go on a 40-year camping trip wandering in a circle in the desert. 
after the entire disobedient generation who left Egypt died off, and Moses has died, God raised up a new leader named Joshua, whose job it would be to lead the Israelites into Canaan. Their first step in possessing the promised land was to conquer the city of Jericho. You remember the story. They marched around the city seven times, and then on the last day, after seven times around, they yelled, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. This story of Rahab is before, when, before the destruction of Jericho. I want to read for you Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2, and Rahab's story is there, and you're going to get to learn a lot about this woman through this story, and then we're going to spend our time this morning talking about faith. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Listen to what it says. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. That's awkward. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. These are terrible spies. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the, brother, spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So the story of Rahab leads to all kinds of questions, doesn't it? Like, why did the spies stay at the house of a prostitute? Why God was cool with Rahab lying to the king of Jericho's minions? Were these the worst spies in the history of spying? They entered the city of Jericho, and as soon as they got there, they were detected? All those questions are fair. Joshua is a historical book. It tells us a story of what happened, not what should have happened. However, the New Testament tells us that there is something about Rahab that you and I should seek to emulate. Rahab is held up as an example of someone who lived by faith. The, writers of, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab's story is a story of faith. 
And it's from Rahab the prostitute that we learn what it means to be a person of faith. Here's three things I want you to know about faith this morning. The first is this. Faith believes. We learn from Rahab that what the God of Israel had done for his people during the Exodus was common knowledge in the city of Jericho. The people of Jericho had heard about God drying up the Red Sea so that the Israelites could escape from Egypt and that God had defeated Israel's enemies. But what's interesting is that though this information, God had defeated Israel's enemies, God was doing miracles for Israel, even though it caused fear in Jericho, it did not lead to anyone embracing the God of Israel as God of all except Rahab. See, what does Rahab say in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11? When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. Why? For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What makes Rahab unique is that she moves from knowing information about who God is to believing that he is God of all. The Lord your God is God in heaven and God on earth. This is where faith begins. It begins with believing that God is God. Notice that Rahab doesn't believe in God generally. She believes specifically that the God of the universe is the all-powerful God over all. Living in a pagan society like she did, there were lots of local gods. And what she says is, all those local gods are trash. They're not real. Rahab says, the God of Israel is Lord of all. Think about how little information Rahab has about God. She knows only some of what he did, and she only knows it from secondhand sources. But this is the kind of faith that she's remembered for. God never asks you for blind or unreasonable faith. Believing in God is not something we do without information. You and I have a tremendous amount of information about who God is and what God has done. He's given us 66 books of his character. Even if we just look at the resurrection of Jesus alone, there is significant evidence both outside and inside of Scripture to confirm that the resurrection was a historical event. But that's the rub, isn't it? Information about God doesn't always lead to faith in God. For a lot of people, it's not that they don't have enough information about God. It's that they don't want to acknowledge who he is. But Rahab shows us that true faith starts with believing in God as he has revealed himself to be. He is God in heaven and on earth below. And it's during Christmas that Jesus comes to show us this exact thing. He is God in heaven above, and he has come down to earth below, and he takes on flesh, and he gives us a front row seat to his nature and character. Lots of people are getting ready to celebrate Christmas. But not everyone will believe in the Christ of Christmas. And it's not because they don't know enough about him. It's because if that baby in the manger is in fact Lord in heaven above and on earth below, then he deserves attention, not simply at Christmas, but the other 364 days of the year. Do you believe in the one true God? Then putting your faith in him means you can no longer trust in yourself or run your own life. But Rahab is not just an example of what it means to believe. The second thing Rahab does is she shows us that faith does. Faith does. Rahab's faith isn't simply about believing that God is God. 
Rahab doesn't say to the spies, your God is Lord of all. Have a wonderful day. She hides them and becomes a key player in God accomplishing his purpose of settling the Israelites in the promised land. Rahab shows us that faith and deeds always goes together. In fact, Jesus' half-brother, James, talks at length about the reality that it's impossible to say you are a person of faith without doing anything with that faith. Listen to how real, hardcore, and direct James is in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. Listen to what he says. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And now James is going to give us evidence that faith without deeds is useless. First, he's going to talk about Abraham who is an amazing example of faith. That's the first example. That's the first evidence. But in verse 25, listen to the second example of evidence that faith without works is dead. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Rahab's faith is held up to the New Testament church millennia after she lived as someone who put their faith into action. Here's what we need to know this morning. Being a Christian is not simply believing Jesus is your Savior. Yes, that's how you become a Christian, by believing in Jesus. And that's where faith begins. But it is not where faith ends. It's by our actions that we prove the reality that we believe in and belong to Jesus. Our doing for God does not save us. It does not make us more acceptable to God. But our doing for God reveals that our faith is real. James reminds us and Rahab shows us that faith is not faith if it does nothing. Believing in God without doing for God makes you as spiritual as a demon. We'll let that rest there for a moment. So we have to ask ourselves, how is our faith in Jesus shaping how we're living our lives? Is your faith active? Is your faith resulting in service to others? Is your faith resulting in generosity towards God and others in need? Is your faith pushing you to take risks for God? Is your faith pushing you out of your comfort zone and into a place where you must be totally dependent on the Lord? Is our faith causing us to see people and treat people with love no matter who they are? Is our faith resulting and more love, more patience, more grace for humanity, for the people who drive us nuts. Is our faith causing us to realize that our lives are not our own 
and that the reason God put us on this planet was to live boldly, courageously, and wholeheartedly for him alone. I want to say something good about our church. We are filled with people. Connection Church. You are a church in so many ways that wants to use your gifts to serve and to make Connection Church a great church. There are a lot of people here who want to live out their faith. But I want to press you just a little bit. Serving on one of our ministry teams is putting your faith into action for sure. But loving the hard person in the cubicle next to you is also the faith you're called to have. Being patient in your home when your kids are driving you bonkers is living out your faith. Moving from a place of giving God a tip off of your leftover income to a place of tithing and giving sacrificially to the place where it hurts, to the place where you're saying in your family, we're going to say no to ourselves so we can say yes to God. That's faith with works. Getting out into our community, sharing the gospel with your neighbors, doing good deeds for those in need that aren't even sanctioned by the church. That's just who you are and how you live. Faith does. Faith does. God is not impressed by a simple nod from us that he is God. He is impressed by faith that leads to a life of living for him. We aren't people of faith if our actions, words, wallets, and love don't reveal that to be true. Here's the third and final thing I want to say to you this morning. Faith transforms. Do you know what the most beautiful part of Rahab's story is? That who she was is not who she stayed. Rahab was a prostitute. She spent the first part of her life selling her body and enduring the lustful passions of men who cared nothing for her soul. She spent the first part of her life as a pagan worshiping the false gods of Canaan. She spent the first part of her life as an outsider both socially and spiritually. But it's because of her faith that she goes from Rahab the prostitute to Rahab the great-grandmother of King David. It's through her faith that she goes from Rahab the prostitute to Rahab the distant grandmother of Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. Do you realize that Jesus had Canaanite blood running through his veins. Jesus was an Israelite, but his family tree shows us that he was part Gentile. Why would this king of all kings want us to know his family tree? Not only to prove that he was a descendant of David, but also to show that he was the kind of king, the kind of savior who came to make outsiders insiders. He is the kind of king who could transform a prostitute into a woman of courageous faith. He is the kind of king who erases the labels that hang over your life. The shame of your past. He doesn't call her prostitute. He calls her mother. He doesn't call her prostitute. He calls her daughter. Jesus shows us that in his family line, what his family will be like will be what his message is. Jesus makes all things new. 
He is the kind of king who makes room in his family for those who don't belong, for those who bear the shame of a broken life because in his family he takes his broken sons and daughters and he makes us whole again. That's what we need most. We need second chances. We need to give him our broken lives. We need to say, God, here are the pieces of my life. Here it is, Lord. This is all I have. You see my past. You see the addiction. You see the broken marriage. You see the prodigal children. You see the things that I've done in secret. You see the things that I don't know, want anyone to know about. And you see me, God, and you see what I've been. And Rahab shows us that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, who we were is not who we have to say. There is new life for you this morning in Jesus Christ. Don't you ever believe the lie for one single moment that you are too far gone for God. The Lord of the universe loves you. He cares for you. Rahab shows us that it's through faith in Jesus that your life can go from a terrible label of prostitute to part of the family of God. And all you must do is turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and your faith will transform you. And as you live out your faith, it will transform you. We have the greatest message in the world. Jesus Christ changes lives. Can we get an amen for Jesus this morning in this house? That's who he is. That's what Christmas is about. That's what I'm here to tell you this morning. Your past does not define you. Your shame does not define you. Your sin does not define you. Your affair does not define you. Your addiction to drugs does not define you. Your broken life can be made new again through Jesus. That's Rahab's story. I want to do something this morning that I don't usually do. I want to read a poem. I'm not big into poetry, but I read this poem this week. And it moved me. This is a poem by Pastor John Piper. The title of it is Rahab. Let me read it to you this morning. It says this. Her velvet sleeves lay motionless and limp against the scarlet dress. A half-said word hung still and thin between her frozen lips. And in the distance she could hear the screams of men whose adolescent dreams she metamorphed into sin, converting fantasy to skin. No blinking now from bark brown eyes, but only blankness. Well, the skies above the city fill with smoke from burning wives who used to stoke the supper stove and wait for men who didn't come allured again by Rahab to the harlot's bed. They'd sworn to see her dead, but now as always there she stood as far from burning as she could, and thought about a thousand nights when she had watched the flames and flights of passion in her patron's play, but kept her heart a mile away. She watched until the sun went down, and all of Jericho's renown blew southward to the salted sea. Then terrified and fearfully, she fell and spread her hands and face upon the ground and to a base Herself she scooped the dust and dirt and threw it on her head and skirt until the last of strength was gone. And then she wept until the dawn and choked out words repeatedly. Why was I spared? Why me? Why me? 
At dawn she heard a Jewish voice. Tis good to weep and not rejoice. The sorrow first and then the song. The words of Joshua were strong. Now rise and go down to the stream and make you clean. This is no dream. The answer to your cry, why me? The God of Abraham, his grace is free. His sun is rising in the east. The priests have made for us a feast. Go make you clean and come with me. There is another way to be. So Rahab made her face to shine and took, a pl- took her place among them to dine. And thus may God make all things new, what he did for her. He can do for you.